Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. This show is episode 13. It's going to be a series of Q&As me and Dan have done in the last few weeks on the podcast. Um, there's a whole bunch of good information on, on this podcast and I hope you guys enjoy it. Before we get started, I got to thank my partners, the first one being Stealth Outdoors. Lou uh, and the the team there at Stealth Outdoors probably have hands down the, the best customer service in the industry. Um, if you call Stealth Outdoors, guess who's going to pick up? Uncle Lou. He's going to take care of you. Um, with that all being said, they clearly have the best silencing product on the market. Um, and my favorite product from them is the Buckle Silencers. Um, but it is just one step in silencing your gear. You have to get the whole package. Make sure you um, purchase all the, the Stealth Outdoor products they have to, to put on your, your tree stand. It will save you eventually if you're a deer hunter. Um, we've all made noises that we didn't want to make in the in the, the uh, when we're chasing after big whitetails, and Stealth Strips helps prevent that from happening. Um, Lou's also doing some giveaways here and there i think right now he is giving away um some some bee sticks so make sure you go over to his um website stealthoutdoors.com and get you some stealth strips also i want to thank hunting beast gear makers of the best stand and sticks for mobile hunters on the market um and right now they got a new product called the three finger hooker that i've helped produce a commercial for um, it's a cool product where you can um, just use it to pull up your tree stand, your bow, um, whatever else you drop on the ground without having to make a couple trips up and down a tree. Um, it's a good product and obviously the best mobile stand on the market and mobile sticks. Pick you up some Beast Minis. We're giving away a set of Beast Minis on the YouTube version of this podcast. So if you haven't yet, go over to that and subscribe and uh, visit huntingbeastgear.com and get you some beast gear. Okay, and finally, Exodus Outdoor Gear. Um, I have something really cool to share with you from uh, my friends over at Exodus. I just got word they're kicking off their annual Hashtag Velvet Fest campaign. If you're not familiar with Velvet Fest... It's the official start to deer season. We're here, folks. Deer season is among us. And Exodus helps get the ball rolling for everyone's summer scouting. I know when hashtag VelvetFest hits, it means it's time to get my cameras ready and deployed for the season. I know I'm working hard to get all mine out. I've gotten a handful of them out, and i got two handfuls more to, to put out. So uh, that's going to happen for me over the next couple weeks. From July 15th to August 19th, they'll have... Um, some awesome prizes for people who use the hashtag Velvet Fest. So it's it's the pound sign or hashtag V-E-L-V-E-T-F-E-S-T on social media showing their whitetail adventures. Also, if you're in the market for a trail camera, hashtag Velvet Fest will be the perfect opportunity to get ready for this season. Exodus will be sending out exclusive savings through their email newsletter throughout the campaign. But to get things started, save 20% on any multiple Exodus render or any render bundles bundles for the first 100 orders. So it's just limited to 100 orders, so get it, get it fast. Use the code, code VELVETFEST 
to lock in these awesome summer savings. I'm going to have the this uh, code in the description below the podcast. Um, so check that out. Make sure you, you there's there's some um, um, uppercase letters in here and whatnot. So make sure you check that out before you use the the code. Every single camera order comes with a random prize card. So I've been told it can include some huge deals, uh, even including the all-new Exodus MMT tailored arrows, which I am shooting this year, and I I love them. They, they're good arrows. Over the last seven years, Exodus has con- consistently shown they build quality gear that flat-out works, and of course, the best trail camera warranty, period, in the industry. Every single, every single camera is backed by a five-year warranty and even comes with theft and damage protection. Can you believe that? Theft and damage protection on a freaking trail camera. Yes, five years. Literally half a decade you'll be covered by the Exodus five-year warranty. But more than likely you won't need to, need to use it uh, because their cameras are already pretty much bulletproof. Um, they also launched the, the MMT Arrows this summer. The tailored arrow built to your specifications using nothing but the highest grade components, period. So head to their website and use the the 3D Builder and experience the best shooting hunting arrow available. Uh, Yeah, I got mine in, shot them through paper. Uh, They tuned real easily. Uh, Walked back, tuned them. Everything was good. So um, I would recommend them. Be sure to take part in the hashtag VelvetFest celebration uh, be sure to tag uh, tag ha- uh, Exodus on your social media because uh, we'll want to see what you guys are up to this summer. So participate in that, guys. Um, thanks for listening to uh, my my partner reads here. Um, I really appreciate it. Thanks for all the support on the podcast, guys. It's crazy how how fast it's growing. I'm going to do way more stuff on this uh, audio book. Bo- uh, version of the podcast. I had some issues the last couple weeks, got those resolved, and we're moving on. Uh, so, so keep track of this. Uh, be looking for more content on this channel. Join us on uh, most uh, mostly Thursday nights uh, on, on YouTube for the live version of the show. Get involved. Um, you can comment there. You can call in and ask questions. It's a good time. All right, let's get into the episode. Hey everybody! Welcome to the show. Howdy! Another Tuesday night show. Our our goal is always to do these on Thursday, but uh, that's not always a, a hard and firm rule, as uh, you guys <laughs> seen in the last couple of weeks. Um, I'm coming at you from a diff- whole different part of the country. I'm in Montana right now. So we're on a family vacation. The wife was generous enough to let me um, get on here for a couple hours and talk to y'all. So, uh, not the normal, uh, no, normal background. So, um, yep. And I saw a couple people commenting on how I thought I was on vacation this week. I'm still on vacation. Just got a, got a, uh, got a little time to do this. So I thought I might as well go ahead and not miss a week. Um, how's it going with you, Dan? I'm alive. Yeah, I am too. Barely. Just took my, uh, taking my two year old on a couple of, uh, seven mile hikes in the, uh, Glacier National Forest. So, um, it's that time of year when I'm going nuts. Yeah, I am too. You gotta, I gotta work my butt off so that I can uh, get ahead to do that. And it's just like I need a vacation, but I don't want to yeah. spend my vacation. I want to save it for hunting. Right. 
I was just telling my wife when we were driving, I was like, man, I'm ready. I'm ready for July. Like I'm ready to start getting trail cameras out, start just seeing deer, you know, spotting bucks and um, all that stuff. We've been doing these summertime, do that summertime podcast a few weeks ago. And that really got me excited about just being out there in the summertime. Um, we got a deer over by me that's uh, melanistic. I haven't seen it yet, but a few people I know have, and somebody sent me a grainy picture of it. And uh, I know where it lives, and I've been trying to I've been trying to find it and get it on video and see it. So that's been yeah. keeping me busy, but I have yet to uh, run across it. For people who don't know, can you tell us what melanistic deer are? It's kind of like a albino, but the opposite. They're uh, black. And yeah. uh, they're pretty rare. They're a lot rarer than albino. I've never actually seen one. I've seen a lot of albinos. I've seen a lot of piebalds. I've never actually seen a melanistic deer. So I'm really curious to see it. I've seen pictures of them and stuff. You can search it online. Yeah. And there's there's some images. But I think that's like a one in five million deer. You know, it's pretty rare. Is it, uh, is it a buck or a doe? I think it's a doe, but I'm not positive. Is there any rules or anything on them at all? No, they just can't be white. They can't be all white. Uh, black one you can shoot. What are the... They can't be all white. So you can shoot a piebald deer in Wisconsin still then, Correct. right? Correct. You what know, sometimes they get trouble because they shoot an albino because it's got brown hair on the top of its head. But that brown hair is actually from rubbing and staining from the glands. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's not a piebald. But... Uh, Actual piebalds where they got a brown patch on them someplace or they're spotty like a cow, you can shoot those. Is there like an actual rule, like they say some percentage of white or anything like that? No, just all white deer can't be shot. Hmm. Wisconsin's, I, we used to have one that lived around us. We uh, we could shoot them in Indiana, but uh, we we had a piebald deer that lived around us. Uh, I don't know whatever happened to that deer. I never heard of anybody killing it or never saw pictures of it. I mean, you see it out in the field sometimes, but, um, it was a buck. Uh, but that's the only time I've ever had one kind of in the general area of where I hunt at. I think, um, now driving through Wisconsin, I've seen a bu- quite a few of them. I mean, I've seen not a, not a bunch, but you know, two or three. Yeah. Around me, there's a lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. This would just be like, I'd be driving down the interstate. I used to go up to Wisconsin quite a bit for work and I'd be driving down the interstate and you'd see one sitting out in the field or something. Um, which I thought was really cool because we don't we don't have that many of them in Indiana. I had a a friend that shot one a decent eight pointer that was a piebald deer. Um, he was real upset because like the back half was kind of the piebald part of him. <laughs> and he was, you know, he had tried to decide. He ended up getting like a three quarter body mount kind of thing where it, you know his front legs were mounted and ended up you could see all the piebald in, but his back half was more white than his front half. Um, I got one with socks once. Oh, really? White socks, you know. But uh, I kept the feet. I was going to get them mounted, and I don't remember what happened. If a freezer broke or something, and they're in the freezer, and they rotted. Or, yeah. I don't remember. Hmm. But I didn't, I, they never got mounted either way. Make you make you one of them lamps where the the deer's feet are holding up the or lamp or a uh, shelf or something where deer, deer, the white feet are holding up the – that's what you could have done. I was, just, I was going to do something like the standard – you know, like gun holder thing underneath the deer. Yeah. Because I got the deer head mounted and I was going to do the feet. I don't remember. Maybe the taxidermy drop, t- taxidermist dropped the ball on it. I mean, you're talking 
35, 40 years ago. Yeah. Then. Right. I don't remember. Yep. Okay. So this is going to be a Q&A podcast. I put a post on the Hunting Beast and uh, got quite a few questions on there. I kind of went through them today and, and uh, picked out a few. And then obviously we're going to try to answer questions um, here on the, on the, on live on the show. So if you guys have any questions that you didn't, didn't uh, ask on the, um, on the form or on the, on the Facebook page there, you can ask them here and I'll, I'll try to get to them. I don't have anybody helping me tonight uh, to go through questions, but I'll do my best. Um, also, as always, you can call in and while I am, um, thinking about that, I'm going to go ahead and drop the call in link into the chats for everybody. I'll do this a couple times tonight, just so you guys don't have to dig through them. I'll, uh, I'll throw that up there, right? There's the link and you just have to follow that link and it'll bring you into the show. Just be patient with me, getting you up on the, on the screen. Um, we'll finish whatever question we are on and then, um, bring you up to ask your question live. Uh, thanks for, um, everybody that left questions. There were some good questions this time. Um, Hey, before you get started, uh, uh, I got an invoice in front of me here. Did you, uh, you get a pair of, a set of sticks to give out? I was getting, that's going to be my next, uh, <laughs> my next comment. Yes. So, what are you doing with so Mario and Dan were gracious enough to donate some sticks to give away for the podcast. So, um, we're going to try to hit that 5,000 subscriber mark, which is a kind of a big goal and I may have to end up changing it. But, um, right now we're going to shoot for 5,000 subscribers. Once I hit 5,000 subscribers, we're going to give away a set of B sticks. And I'm going to try to do that like every milestone on the, um, uh, you know, for the foreseeable future, I'll try to give away, you know, something a little bit bigger next milestone and something a little bit bigger for the next milestone. Um, all you have to do really is subscribe. I know I put on Facebook to share the link and stuff, but as long as you're a subscriber, that's where I'll pull the, um, the winner from. So if you haven't subscribed right now, you might as well just hit the button. You're right here. Just hit the subscribe button and it will, um, you'll be entered, entered to win the, uh, mini B sticks. So a pretty cool prize. And I appreciate you guys doing that for me. Um, yeah, I'm going to be giving know. away a, a stand sometime soon too. And yep. um, uh, I'll do it a little faster than what you're doing, though. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to give away. Uh, uh, I'm probably going to pick up a Prime bow. Let or let somebody pick any bow they want from Prime. Yeah, that'd be I'll do that in a separate giveaway. That'd be sweet. I'd I'd love to like. I've always thought to myself like it'd be cool to like give away everything a guy needed to go hunting, like stand sticks, a bow you know, pair, pair of gum leaf boots or something like that. And like, have like a, and have to, and give it to like a new hunter, you know, someone that's yeah. like getting started or wants to get started. I think that'd be so cool. Trouble is that's but, the perfect world. And yeah, and I know you don't usually get a new hunter and, and then, yeah. you, you know, you give one guy everything and I'd rather spread the wealth, you know, and have multiple yeah. winners. I just like, to, I like to give back to the people who support me two ways the people who are following you and the people who support you, you know, the, the companies that support you. I, I really yeah, like exactly. You know, and, and like, we like you, you know, so yeah. you, we're working with you. So yeah. I like doing things like that. I think that's cool. You know, I've always like, I don't know if I ever mentioned this to you or not, but like, I think a cool video would be like, if we could get, um, like, I, I don't want to like 
I guess call out these guys because this is just an idea at the moment. But like, if you get like Chad and those guys at Exodus to give us a bunch of trail cameras and Lou to give us a bunch of stealth strips and and you know get some sticks and stands or whatever and and like go around to some hardcore public land area and just wait in the parking lots for people and like give away crap. I think that'd be such a cool video. Like, uh, it'd be, that'd be cool too. Take a stand and set of sticks or something and go set it up in a woods someplace and keep giving clues where it's at and you find yeah. It. <laughs> that'd be cool like if you find if you find the setup you get it yeah that'd be fun trouble yeah. is somebody might find it and then not report it and then you don't know what happened to it <laughs> yeah someone steal it uh but yeah i don't know that's always think those videos that you see people give away stuff it's always like i mean i guess the content creator in me it's like they always get a bunch of views and people think it's cool what i do too i think it's entertaining and people are always it just seems like the way the world works. You always like run into, you give away something and it's, it's always someone that wins it really needs it, you know, or something or that, you know, can't afford a, a B stand, you know, they, they, they win one, which is ideal, you know? Um, but anyway, that's probably down the line for our, our group here. <laughs> um, all right. You want to get into the Q and a. Sure. I'm going to ask a couple of, uh, I'll probably, what I'll probably do is probably just try to monitor the, the chat. So go ahead and ask away. I'll try to get to them, but we also, I got some on my phone here. I forgot a piece of paper on vacation. So I just, uh, got some notes on my phone, um, with the questions, like some of the questions I got asked on the, um, on the Facebook form. And if I don't get to your question on the Facebook form, I really apologize. Um, some of the like scenario ones are really hard to answer on the, um, live on the show just because typically we need more detail or um, whatever the case may be. So if you ask a scenario question, just message me or something. Maybe I can try to help you out. Ask, um, ask away. Cause I got like 24 hours to get back to my house in the, in the, in the vehicle. Um, so when my wife's driving, I may mess around on the, on Facebook and answer some of those. Um, all right. So first question is, um, are bucks worried about ruining their velvet, uh, growth in the summer? And as a result, stay out of thicker areas like swamps. And then he says, depending on that answer, are swamps a bad place to set up a, a trail camera in the summer? It's mm. a good question. Um, I think their uh, antlers probably are a little sensitive, but I don't know if that keeps them out of thick stuff. That you, you know, I noticed that bucks um, all year round kind of stay away from stuff where they got to push their antlers through it. You know, even in uh, even when it's swamps, they find ways to get through without pushing their antlers through, you know. But uh, I do, on the other hand, see more buck activity up in higher ground during the summer. Yeah. Um, they almost bed like does, you know, and they bed in groups of, of males, you know, and uh, bed up higher, out further. They spend more time in fields, in open areas. Um, I don't know that it has anything to do with the antlers. Just summer patterns. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong there. Maybe I'm not. I just know what they do. I don't know why. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how. They spend more time out in the open. However, there still, still are a lot of bucks in the swamp. Yeah. So I don't know if I would I would say don't put trail cameras in swamps. Bucks aren't there or, or say anything locked down like that. I would just say that, yeah, they do spend more time out in open areas. And more time in open areas in daylight than normal, than like say fall. 
Right. And it's probably, I don't know. They're, they're probably way tougher than we give them credit for with that kind of stuff. You know, it's probably just because it's, they've gotten less pressure and then they're, so they're going to bed in more convenient areas. Maybe, I don't know. Um, but that's a good question. Uh, so super relevant right now, this time of year. Um, and I'm going to, I was going to ask this question too, because it's, it's kind of, uh, in line with, with that. Um, Yes, Dan, are there areas that are too thick for a buck to want to bed in? He said, I've been scouting some areas that are super thick, and sometimes I wonder if bucks are even going to be able to get through these areas. Absolutely. Uh, I run into areas that are too thick for bucks all the time. Um, they will bet on the edges of it because they'll jump, bust through that stuff when they got to get away. They'll use it as an escape. But uh, um, just for instance, there's uh, one big eight-pointer that I shot one time um, that came running in chasing a doe and it was behind me and I was in a little tiny stand and it was having a hard time getting around. I had some obstacles in my way. And by the time I got around, and got drawn. He got through my window chasing this doe and he's going right down a deer trail, but it was a doe trail and the doe ran into some dogwood on a deer trail and he ran into it and his rack just stopped, stopped him cold. He could not get through that deer trail. And he backed up, tried again, and he kept ramming himself, trying to get through that tangle of brush to get at the doe. And finally, he backed up and tried to go around the brush. And that's when I got my shot and killed him because he couldn't get through because his yeah. antlers couldn't get through the dogwood. And that was a deer trail. Um, you start getting into that really thick stuff and you stop seeing rubs and stuff. And there's a reason there's no rubs. There's no deer getting in there, no bucks. You, you'll see tracks and stuff. Smaller bucks can get in there. Year and a half olds with, you know, little forkhorn racks and stuff can get through that stuff. But just imagine if you um, if you didn't have hands and you had to go through heavy brush with with a, a you know a climbing stick turned sideways, you're yeah, not going to do very well getting through the stuff, right? I mean, you can right. do it, but you're going to make a lot of noise. You're going to have a lot of obstacles. You're going to get hung up all the time. So deer are no different. Um, as a matter of fact, when I get into um, big swamps, I find that uh, where it's more denser cover. The bigger, wider, more open trails are actually the ones that the big bucks are taking, the ones that are kind of obvious, um, which always surprised me because when you get more woodlots, they usually have the, the trail off to the side that's just faint. It's usually the big buck. Right. When you get thicker areas, the open trail usually is the buck because they can't get the racks through the other crap. Yeah. That's a, that's a good tip right there. <laughs> Everybody, and that's the thing, too. You know, some guys will say thick. Well, what's your idea of thick? You know what I mean? I guess that goes by stem count, but everybody's yeah. version of thick is something different. What right. some people consider thick, a buck will go through. Maybe what I consider thick, they won't. Right. You know, what I mean? so it's relative. Just if you think about it from the taking that climbing stick and going through sideways, and you think about it like that, that, that kind of answers your question better, I think. Yeah. No, I think we did a good job of answering that. Um, let's do let's do a fun one here. Here's one. Question for Dan. What are y'all eating and cooking tonight? <laughs> um, I already ate. So I had uh, tacos. Same thing I had yesterday and the day before. <laughs> nice. So uh, Carol, yeah. Carol has uh, um, got Lyme's disease. And yeah. uh, it's caused her to have allergic reactions to a lot of foods. 
and uh, she can't eat bread. She can't eat this. She can't eat that. About the only thing she can eat is tacos. So I comply and I eat a lot of tacos. She can eat tacos and corn shells with if it's Mexican style, like with onions and cilantro. She can't have lettuce. She can't have tomatoes. Oh, really? Yeah, it's bad. Is she like that? I mean, I guess she liked all that stuff beforehand, huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That sucks. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know. They asked what you ate, and then they said y'all. But um, I had. What'd you eat today? I'm gonna have chili. It's only five. Whatever. It's. What I guess it's six thirty here. I haven't ate yet. But yeah, we we made a pot of chili, and we've been eating on that to save money on vacation and whatnot. So. Um. Yep, just chili. That's what I had last night too, Dan. <laughs> Probably have it tomorrow night too, I'd say. <laughs> oh, that, that's funny. Um, someone asked. Uh, sorry, you guys are blowing the chats up. I got to hide the comment. Did Dave's Farm sell yet, Dan? I think people could maybe want to update on Dave's Farm. I know that's a kind of they, a. They sold point. the house. Um, and uh, the guy moved in, um, so I can't access the way I was accessing. And uh, they leased um, the main farm field up front and uh, asked me to uh, access a different way. And uh, just recently sent me a message to continue to hunt and access the farm as I have been doing. And as of right now, it's not up for sale. Hmm. So I don't know if that's going to change. Um, the... Uh, Dave's sister is the one who owns it right now. Yeah. And she's in Texas. And uh, I don't think she really wants anything to do with it. Um, so I don't know how long they're going to have it. But uh, they have a family friend that wants to buy it and probably is going to buy it. Um, and she's got dibs on it. But uh, she uh, uh, doesn't have the money at the moment. So it might buy me this season. Um, and, uh, maybe if she doesn't buy it, maybe somehow I can scrape up the money and buy it. But, uh, I really wanted it with the house if I bought it and they yeah. separated that already. Yeah. That'd be cool though. They did want me um, to buy the, um, back 20, at least, uh, that's what the woman that's buying the front said that yeah. she could, she could buy a section of it and she wanted me to buy the back 20, which is where we do most of the deer hunting but really 20 acres landlocked and you have to travel right through properties to get back there. I just, not the idea because that's where Dave, Dave is. That's where his ashes are and stuff, but I don't know. It's uh, yeah, it's a weird situation. It's going to be uh, interesting hunting it this year with uh, no food plots and stuff. Cause I wasn't going to put anything in cause I was, didn't know if I was going to lose it or not. And right. Yeah, you still could this fall though. I mean, you could plant some some of the fall food plots stuff in August. Could, yeah. yeah, but I'd have to go in there and work it and stuff. And yeah, yeah, it'd be a lot of work. Yeah, it's um, brushy right now. Yeah, how much? There's a lot of food around it, right? I mean, there's there there is, but uh, uh, there's a significant difference in uh, the amount of deer we've seen on that farm when there's food plots versus when there wasn't. Yeah, that's what I have. I have one farm that food plots really seem to help. And I have another one that don't, they don't do anything. It seems like it's a waste of my time. Mm. Um, but one is it's a non GMO farm. And so the farmer tills up all the crop fields, pretty much drags the, 
disc behind the not tails up disc the fields up um, right after he combines pretty much drags a disc behind the combine so it turns all the ground over and there's no food there for him but when i plant a couple food plots or was you know food plot there it helps a little bit and uh, but the other ones like those crp fields and um, my other farm is that i can hunt on private crp fields and there's there's always beans and corn and and the you know farmers don't really disc they just they just do um no till um, so it just seems like there's always food there and it's hard for me you know i'm sure if i spent a couple of few thousand dollars on food plots i'd probably make a difference but i'm not you know i can't do that um so my little half acre food plots they just they don't need them um, i guess one of the things with me was um i was planning on doing a lot of hunting in iowa this year yeah oh yeah but, we forgot to talk about that but i'm not going to be now because uh, um five points was not enough yeah me and dan neither one drew our iowa tag this year you know what i think happened I think it was COVID because there's a yeah. lot of people that did not hunt and just took a point for COVID because they were, because, you know, you, you put that much money into a tag. And yeah. remember at that time, it was if the, if you'd even be able to hunt yeah. or travel or cross a border, remember they were locking us down and stuff. Yep. Turning into Nazi Germany. So you're worried if you went over there, you know, so I think that, that did a whole point creep. Um, I know guys that are in other units that, their units uh, creep the point too. Really? Oh, I haven't yeah. really talked to many other people um, other than people that would send me a message like, ah, I drew, you know, I was like, oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, well. So no, I, I, no, Iowa is going to open up some doors for, you know, doing some other things. Yep. For sure. You can buy two more, you can buy two or three tags, other States for the price of the Iowa tag. So. Yeah. Um, and, and, and Iowa was kind of, you know, really wanting to hunt down there a bit too. So it's kind of looking at, well, I might spend some weekends down there and a couple yeah. weeks down there. And and then you start thinking, well, what else do I have time to do? But now with, without Iowa, I can probably do something, you know, like maybe go to Illinois, maybe go to Indiana again. Yep. We do Michigan, maybe run someplace crazy, see what people call in and, you know, you know uh, say, Hey, come down hunt here or something. Maybe I'll just jump in with somebody. I like doing that, meet new people. Yep. So we should, we should have some fun this year. It's kind of good that both of us didn't draw because now we can do some stuff together. Yeah, for sure. I'd, I'd not that I mean, we're not drawing, but if one of yeah, us, yeah, right. Neither of us. That's that's good. That's right. Yeah, I had I posted on Facebook about not drawing, you know, and I had a bunch of people message me like, "I'm so sorry you didn't draw." I'm like, "Hey, don't worry about me. Like, I'll I'll go hunting somewhere." You know, I I was overbooked anyways this year because I'm going to go to Kentucky, Ohio. Um, Indiana, and I don't know. I was thinking about going to South Dakota. We're going to stop in South Dakota on the way home, kind of check things out. So, um, yeah, I'll be fine. Don't worry about me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it did, it did suck. I, but I, I had a feeling, I was like, man, I don't think I'm going to draw this this year. Like, just people, the way people were mumbling and, and talking in the last couple of weeks, and like, sounds like there's going to be a point creep this year. And sure enough, there must have been. Um, oh, well, it is what it is, it's part of it. Um, okay. On to the question. Sorry, we got off on a, on a tangent there. Um, can you tell a few stories on how you use trail camera data to kill a big buck? Taking inventory is easy. Using cameras to connect on a big buck is the step very few can take. It's a good, good question. You got one or you want me to start? You can start. So I killed the buck I killed in Indiana last year. I, I could contribute that to 
um, a trail camera. And I have a lot of these setups for trail cameras. Typically, like if I tell you like well, how my seasons usually go, I usually have like four or five deer I would shoot um, that I found on public, private, wherever. I got a lot of like tiny private pieces like this where I shot my buck last year is like a 20 acre piece. And, um, I, I'll, it'll end up being all the pro- public and private. I'll have, you know, four or five bucks that I'd be happy to shoot. Um, and this particular spot was alongside of a cornfield. Um, and there was a point that went out into the cornfield and, uh, the buck's always been that point. Well, just outside about a hundred yards into the timber, um, off that cornfield, there's a scrape right there. And I always have a cell camera on that scrape. And I, I know, uh, you know, if, if a buck hits that scrape, he's going to go bed on this point that is inside the the cornfield. And that morning coming into the cornfield or coming from the timber into the cornfield, there was a buck hit that scrape. And I had a good idea that Doug, he's going to be bedding right there. Um, so I, I, I actually moved into the point, set up my stand and, and killed the buck when he came out of the, the bedding. Um, but that's an example of, of how I, I use them, I, especially cell cameras. I'll put those typically around if I can find a scrape near bedding. Um, the only reason I do scrapes is just because, you know, on um, camp bait or anything here, I mean, or, or any of that stuff. And, um, you know, bucks are more than likely if there's a scrape somewhere off the, um, on the main trail, they're going to hit that sometime during the day, whether it be coming out of the bedding or going back into it. So that's an example of how I used it. And that's how I try to, when I sell cameras, that's how I try to use them, give them, use them to my advantage close to bedding. And that, like I said, that trail camera is probably from where I shot the buck, it's probably 60 yards. Um, Maybe not even that far, but some something like that. And then I, I always kind of move in closer. So for, for me... Uh... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Um, I don't think I've ever killed a deer because of a cell cam. Um, and that's not through a lack of trying. I mean, I put cell cams in uh, staging areas and waited for perfect timing. And that just seems like I'm always there on the wrong day, but they've given me the intel to be there. Um, but uh, with, with cameras in general, um, locating deer is usually how I kill them. It's not, it's not necessarily that I kill them from instant Intel. Um, like, uh, the deer I killed last September was a perfect example. 
that deer I knew existed because I was catching him on trail cameras. I knew where he lived. Um, and the only reason I knew he was around was because of trail cameras. I mean, I seen him hunting a few times, but I was hunting him because of trail cameras. But I wasn't getting like consistent pictures or anything like that. I knew the general area he lived in. It was a dense, nasty area that you wouldn't be in there, you know, just miles of cattails unless you had intel like that. So, um, again, it revolves around the trail camera tells me the deer is there and my scouting kills it. I don't know where the bedding areas are, but I find that there's a deer there with a camera that I'm, you know, that I want to shoot. Yeah. Um, and that deer I monitored for years. And then that's how you know it didn't get killed. That's how you know it's still there because you keep getting pictures. Um, some, another, another way, I guess just in a different way I've, um, I've used them is I have this one spot. It's, it's a, it's a farm. It's a decent sized farm, but it's just fields. And Dan knows the area. There's a lot of the private I have is just cornfields or crop fields. And, and then, uh, there's just a little bitty, like, I don't know, it's probably 50 yards by 80 yards long, a uh, little patch of timber, um, that butts up to the neighbor's big woods and that goes out into the crop field. And I have a trail camera on the, there's a, there's like one deer trail that goes through that woods that's in between the crop fields. And I always put a trail camera on that. And I'm telling you in the rut, if you would go set there on, on November 4th, you'd probably kill a nice buck. I've had for the past, probably since 2017, I've had a buck, a decent buck, never, not always like a 150 inch buck, but always a decent buck. It seems like November 4th, there's always a buck on that trail camera on November, November 4th that goes, goes through that little woods. So that's always something like if I have a buck on that f- area that I want to shoot, like I be sure to set there um, November 4th. And the buck that you saw on the thumbnail, it's like 153 inch 10 point I shot uh, on November 4th in 2018 when I shot that buck, 2018. Yeah. 2018. Um, I had that bucket 10 yards in that little woods on November 4th and I was using a recurve bow. And when I drew back, he, he saw me and, and bolted out. But, um, yeah, that's another great way of using them. Like they're, they are, um, very consistent sometimes, especially in the rut. It seems like they come and check, check the same areas, um, for whatever reason, but I always, yeah. The timing is a good point, but, uh, also, also, um, they can teach you wind direction and stuff too. I've, I've noticed that uh, certain spots, uh, when you go over the camera data, you find out that the buck's only there on certain winds, or he comes from a different direction based on the wind. Yeah, you know? and then you learn when to when to sit there, and you might not be, you might not end up killing it because of the camera, but you learn how to hunt that spot based on the camera. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that buck he ended up leaving that area, and I found him on a different piece of uh ground probably a mile down the road and i ended up shooting him down there um that was a fun year but uh yeah good question all right we got a caller so we're adding to this to the show here hopefully i don't see him on there anymore but are you there jacob oh (laughs) he was waiting on us you're on mute man you're on mute jacob we can't hear you Still on mute, man. You're also really um, 
scratchy. So we're going to, we're going to let Jacob go. So I can't, he's uh, he's glitching. What happened to Jacob there? I don't know, man. He needs to quit landscaping or whatever the heck he's doing, <laughs> getting some internet service. Kind of uh, on there. I don't know what's going on over there. <laughs> they got him. They got him working too hard. Took his internet away, apparently. <laughs> All right, let's go back to the go back to the Q, the questions on the on the form here. So, all right, this is a long question, but I thought it was a good one. So, um, this guy says, "I always hear about hunting big pieces of public land that have hundreds and even thousands of acres. How should you go about hunting small parcels like fifty to hundred acres of public land that don't have buck beds in them, but they do um, have uh, buck rubs and scrapes?" Uh, well, maybe you hunt them during the rut when bucks pass through, yeah. um, or if they have beds adjacent to them. I generally, if it doesn't have bucks bedding on it, I usually don't bother unless it's uh, got really good surrounding properties and, and a good connection through it travel route. Um, I've just never been really lucky on um, mature bucks um, unless I'm within a certain range of bedding, even during the rut. I mean, that's not to say you can't get a real good buck during the rut cruising through, but those six or seven year olds that you really want to target, I don't, I'd keep looking for new properties, but if that's what I had, I'd be trying to look for some connection feature that's going to draw those deer to go through the property from one bed yeah. area to another during the rut. Otherwise, I don't know, you know, deer only move a short distance in daylight, so. Yeah. And at the same time, like you're, you know, you, he mentioned in the question that he didn't think bucks are bedding there, but like some of them tiny pieces uh, get overlooked sometimes. So um, they can be really, really good spots yeah. to kill a big buck. A lot of and times uh, there's bucks bedding there that you don't know about too. Yep. Or they're bedding right across the border, or, you know. Yep. They'll be bedding right in front of your eyes. Yep. <laughs> Um, all right, here's a fun one. Is Dan growing his long hair back? <laughs> no, I just haven't had time for a haircut. I need one. I'm getting uh, hot here. It's, the weather's been really hot. I'm in the, yeah. uh, the box again. Notice how I'm all lit up today? That's because I got all the windows open and stuff, and I'm still sweating like a pig. Yeah. <laughs> I always like... I don't know. I always like, I'm going to grow my beard out. I'm going to grow my hair out. And then like after a certain point, I'm like, ah, I'm going to cut it off now. <laughs> but <laughs> I used to have a mullet when I was younger. So how about bringing that back? Now I don't have to, now that I'm uh, not, I'm, I'm not working for a uh, company per se anymore. I probably, they probably wouldn't frown upon that. And I, you know, I can do whatever I want now with it. So, um, Yeah. Like I said earlier, though, Dan, you have the most sporadic uh, hairstyles ever. You know, I've seen you in all different types of clean shaven, long hair. Um, all right. You ever see those commercials where you just you have beard growing condos and you and you grow yeah. a beard. I got yeah. You like you like the Santa Claus uh, with Tim Allen that movie when he <laughs> he keeps trying to shave his beard and the next morning it's back out to Santa Claus level again. No, I'm the same way. I freaking I could. If I don't, I could show up in a couple of weeks and have something like this. So, um, all right, let's get back to tactics here. Five tips for finding buck bedding areas. 
Maybe we can tag team this one. I don't think I don't know if I can find I five finding buck bedding areas. Yep. Hmm. Walk transitions. <laughs> That's a. Yeah, I was gonna say that. I was Lee gonna. Leeward, if you're in the hill country, Leeward Hills and points points on those oxbows are good. But you just put a video up about oxbows. Um, if you can find areas on public that are overlooked, like behind, um, you know, an old abandoned house or a house that's not abandoned, uh, I've killed decent. Yeah, I killed. Yeah, I've probably said too much about this spot because I had I had someone. Uh, uh, message me the other day, like, I know what you're talking about. I'm like, yeah, shoot. <laughs> but that's all right. Um, yeah, I don't know how many we've we've given there. Uh, and if you want to know, it's like, like, like farm countries, look at like fence rows, uh, little points that go out into crop fields. Um, the, big, the big one's going to be the overlooked one. I think you hit that on the nose. Yeah. Because when I look back, um, the majority of my deer come from traditional spots the traditional edges the traditional points the places you'd expect them but when you get to the top 10 when you get to deer that are over five years old that i've shot they're almost exclusively from spots nobody else would ever hunt yeah they're overlooked you know when you when you when you're talking you know like you were saying fence lines and stuff in in private properties and stuff yeah but fence lines that are overlooked yeah. Uh, whenever I look at farms for people, you know, probably 40 or 50% of the farms have a spot where everybody goes in and there's a spot watching the people go in and that's where the biggest buck on the farm is. You know, when you go and you do your scouting, you know. Yep. That's just overlooked for years. Right. Um, here's a question for you, Dan. Any plans for do a big woods workshop? Yeah, I'd like to. Um, we looked at doing one in Clark County where the um, bear bait buck was and uh, actually got permission from the DNR to do it. But then when we looked at the adequate parking and stuff, we just couldn't fit a number of right. people up there. So the biggest thing would be, you, you know, I'd probably have to go someplace where I'm not really hunting so that we can make it adequate for people. So then it would just be like a scouting trip. I like doing them where I hunt because I think I can teach a lot by showing the setups I use and stuff like that. Um, but that's not to say that there isn't a lot to learn from just walking through the woods and, and reading it, uh, especially if I pre-map out a spot, you know, so maybe it might happen. Yeah. I get a little less busy though. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I don't, people don't realize the logistics of, of doing that. Like it's hard to find a parking lot on public land that you can fit, you know, 30 trucks on. Right. Uh, uh, so yeah. And, and, uh, what people don't realize too is not all communities are too friendly to that. Right. Um, uh, like I, I called Missouri about doing it in Missouri at a place. And they told me if I went on public land and did it, they'd arrest me. So, I mean, yeah, they, they can, they can squeeze laws in there like guiding and stuff like that. So I have to have permission um, to do those. Um, and that's not always something I can get. I can do them on private land just fine because they, they don't right. cover them, but right. Um, 
they are those those workshops though are super fun and everybody if you haven't went to one like it's worth trying to get your name in on one the ones so, down um, here are just awesome they yeah. really are and it, i don't think it really matters what terrain you hunt if you come down to these workshops you'll get something no. out of it but uh a lot of people think well it's just marsh or swamp or whatever but really when you look at the setups and you look at how you know how the deer bed and stuff it ain't much different from you know big woods to, to the marsh I'm hunting to swamp to, you know, mm -hmm. it's really not. Yeah. And, and I think like you, you're building your, your shop and stuff now. Like I think they're going to be even better from now on once you get that all done and everybody can meet in there and um, sound like you're yeah, going to put when we get that building done. I think I'd like to do some more like um, some train training with, um, you know, map reading and stuff too. Like, yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah, you could you could do all kinds of things. I mean, there's, yeah, it's it's pretty unlimited. But speaking, uh, speaking of things to do, I mean, um, we're kind of tentatively kicking off around some dates. Me and Josh thinking about um, heading over to Michigan by uh, Uncle Louie. He's been trying to drag yep. us over there and doing a live show there and inviting the public. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys are from Michigan, but if you uh, keep an eye out for that. Yep. That's actually going to be coming up. If we if we do the dates, we're thinking it's coming up pretty soon here. So, uh, yeah, we'll we'll get those dates out. That'll be fun, though. I'll drive up there down first before we give dates. But. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, that'll be super fun. Um, all right. Do either of us have any specific target bucks that you'll be going after this year? Bucks that you have history with. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I do too. I do too. Uh, you wanna, do you have any more comments about that? Or I can talk about mine uh, a little bit. I shot a buck two years ago uh, that I didn't recover and he's still alive. And that's the deer I'm probably going to go after this year. And, um, or try to if he's around. He was around in January of this year. So hopefully he's still around. There are always deer I'm after. Um, yeah, because I'm, you know, generally I'm hunting about eight or ten deer tentatively, and um, you don't get them all, obviously, and uh, they live year to year. The trouble is, you don't always know if someone got shot one of them or something yeah. like that. Um, some of them are so big, if they get shot, you'll hear about it. But if you're local, but um, I am after one big non-typical. I've never seen it other than on a trail camera, but it lives in a small lot and I don't think it's been shot. Um, I'm going to go after that a little bit. Um, it's a new area. Um, hunted a little last year. Um, going to dive in after some bucks that I've been after for a few years that I know about that, uh, you know, some of them are in areas where you can only take a couple shots at them you know, here and there when the timing and the wind's right. Um, and, uh, you know, some I just don't want to mention because uh, other people are hunting them and you talk too much about them or you show too much of your cards and uh, yeah, and people take advantage of that. Right. Deer I'm after is on private, but there's public around it. So, um, yeah, but it's, it's going to be a giant. Um, I hope if it's, if it is still, you know, <laughs> um, but I got, I'm going to go put some cameras out 
probably when I get back here and try to start narrowing him down, um, plan a food plot there this year. But I shot him two years or yeah, two years ago as probably a three year old. He was like a hundred and forty inch deer back then. Um Where'd you get him? shoulder, squaring the shoulder. Weren't you using high FOC? <laughs> Stop. Oh uh, yeah, I kind of was. No, Sorry. uh Sorry. no, it was good. It's all good. Yeah, no, I hit him square on the shoulder at like twenty seven yards and mm. didn't even I mean yeah. Now, he's still living, he's walking around hopefully right now somewhere. Um at least he's he lived, you know, um the last couple years he's been around, but he's blown up. Um it'll be hard it'll be a hard year if if he's around. It's going to be a fun year, but it's going to be that that farm's a little bit hard to hunt. So, it'll be be a pretty big game of cat and mouse. Um, and since I feel like I shot him there already once, he just seems like he's this year he was just super elusive, but uh he's showing up on camera. Um it's a typical farm country stuff where there's not much woods at all. It's just fence rows and um, one little patch of woods and that's it. So hard to get close to him. Um, but we'll see. I'm excited for it. Yeah, for, okay. for me, you know, that's what that's what July and August are about is trying to relocate some of those uh, yeah. target animals from last year and, and confirm they're still alive. You know, all I have to do is get a glimpse of them or a picture. Okay, this one is from the, the PA Mobile Hunter. Um, he says, I hunt a lot of city deer y'all have any good strategy for those hard deer also near highways and train tracks um he says basically one long hillside and hilltop yeah they got their benefits and they got their uh, downfalls um the benefits are the deer aren't as scared of people um there's generally a lot of deer around because there's very limited areas you can hunt them um but the downfalls are is you're stuck on small properties usually um, and you, you got to wait for the deer to come to you. I think in a lot of cases, people overhunt those spots because they, uh, they do have limited, like they have 15 acres or something. And if you're out there all the time, the deer just won't come there in daylight. I think the best way to hunt a situation like that is probably to monitor it with a, um, cell cam. So, you know, when the deer is active there in daylight and then move in to hunt, um, you know, otherwise, uh, it can be a tough nut, you know, it can be great hunting and it can suck too, you know, mm -hmm. um, if, if you got a lot of pass through with rut, you know, um, in some of the cases hunting it early can, can ruin it. But, uh, in some cases you want to hunt early, but that could ruin your uh, rut too. Um, yeah. When I saw this question, I have, I have one spot that's, I don't know if it's similar or not, but um it's right the butts up against town um the back of the property does and in the front of it there's railroad tracks and there's a, it's a hillside that goes up into town and then town's on top of the hill and uh i think access on those spots are like the toughest um a lot of times like my particular scenario i cannot access from town um so the deer typically bed on that hillside and they just watch down towards the railroad track and it's really hard to get close to them. So um, if you can think of a way to get into those areas that you're describing in a different way than what typically 
you'll see like the humans come from, or I don't know how close to town you're talking about city deer. Um, they're probably, they're probably people watchers as deer are. So try to think about that a little bit. Um, okay. So Jacob called in again here. I will see if he can, can you hear us now? Yep. I'm driving now. I clocked okay. out. So tried to get better signal for you guys. Um, you sound good now. Okay. Good. <laughs> if I ever did. Um, Dan, um, and Josh, I don't know if you guys saw that post I made Wednesday, but I'm going to try to make those more, but this kind of goes along with that. Um, if you guys weren't living the dream that many people are right now, making just sometimes a little bit, sometimes more than a little bit of money doing the thing that you love, what would you be doing? So in short, if you weren't doing this, what would you be doing? They'd be doing this. Exactly. So I, I guess if I wasn't, um, if I wasn't filming hunting i'd still be hunting um if i wasn't um writing or doing podcasts and stuff i'd still be hunting as a matter of fact i'd be doing better at hunting i spend a lot of time helping others and uh that time would be better spent hunting and i think you know i talk a lot about how i uh in my youth i was a you know more aggressive i was more focused and i've lost a little bit of that drive and part of that's because you know, I only got so many hours in a day and I spend it on here and I spend it uh, on the internet helping people and stuff. And, you know, it gets a little frustrated when you get some people that don't appreciate it. But, um, you, you know, uh, yeah, I don't think you could change what I, I do. You could, you, could, you could take away anybody knowing who I am or anything. This is still what I do. It, hunting is in my DNA. It's, it's not what I do. It's who I am. I am a hunter. That's what I am, and uh, you know I'm a uh, I'm a hunter and uh, a husband, and uh, that's about it. I mean, you can even you know even if you took a guy and he couldn't hunt no more, you take his legs off and you put him in a wheelchair staring out the window, he's still a hunter. You can't take that out of him. Once a hunter, always a hunter. If you really were a hunter and it's not a hobby, you know, that's me. Yeah. Well, you, Josh. I mean, yeah, you kind of hit the nail on the head. I mean, I was hunting probably harder uh, before I started doing all this back in the, when I was younger, you know. Um, but I guess to answer your question, like I guess what, what I would be doing if there wasn't hunting, I don't know. I uh, I worked I worked in the agriculture industry for ten years, where I, um, you know, I traveled all around the world. Um, doing things with mycotoxins in, in grains. Um, so that's probably what I'd be doing, but obviously I just, uh, quit my job to do this full time. Um, yeah, I don't know. Life for me is not about how much money I make or, um, you know, climbing the peripheral ladder or anything like that. It's like, I just want to be, you know, do what I love and, and, uh, you know, make the most out of it. So, um, I'm like, Dan, like, this is obviously what I'm doing. So here I am kind of thing. Before I had anybody know who I was, this is who I was and what I did mm-hmm. from childhood. I mean, it, you know, that's, that's the thing too, is, is, um, that's something that's ingrained in you because, uh, from very small on, my brothers didn't have it. It was just, I, I had this drive to hunt, you know, this passion, this desire and it's been in my my heart my whole life you couldn't take that away it seems like 
um, the people that end up being successful and end up, you know, if, if your dimension of success is making money off of it, making a living off of it, seems like all those people start from the same area where they're all extremely passionate. Like you heard me ask that question uh, to Aaron in a way last week. And he was saying, um, be yourself, you know, and, and because you guys understand that if you are to be successful at this, you need to have that passion, that drive innately within you. You need to be born for this in the sense that you couldn't imagine yourself and you couldn't picture yourself doing anything otherwise. And I think that's what leads you to that success, whether you care about it being the thing that fuels your future monetarily or not, it ends up being that because you couldn't commit any more heart and passion to it. I think the thing that mainly drives success is originality, being yourself. And I think there's a very big lack of that in the hunting industry and the people wanting to be on shows and wanting to do um, podcasts and wanting to do YouTube channels and stuff. I think they all copy everybody else. And I think if you look, it's all the originals. The guys that first started in a certain way are the ones that do very well, like the hunting yeah. public, like myself. Um, guys that are original. All the guys that say, well, I, I'm going to be just like the hunting public or I'm going to be just like Dan. They usually don't do very well. You, you got to have that passion, drive, and you got to be original. I mean, that's not to say you, you don't hunt like me or you don't hunt like the hunting public or something, but you don't try to copy them or you don't try to be just like them you just be yourself you know yeah 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 well, and like for, for excellent for, answer that. yeah for for me the Sorry. only thing that kept me from hope oh, are you cutting out jacob i was for for me the I only thing that uh <laughs> the only thing for for me that kept me from doing this move earlier was like you know, out of high school, I got caught in that trap where you got to go to college, you got to get a degree, and then you got to, um, you know, then you got to get a good job and work that job and this and that. And it's like, well, then all of a sudden, you know, you're, you got $70,000 in student loans and all this other crap. And it keeps you from, um, you know, being able to do what you really love to do in life. Um, and, you know, now that I'm, I'm 31 now, is how old I am. And, and finally, after, I realized that, you know, in my mid twenties, like this is, I don't want to do this, you know, but then it, it takes a guy a little bit to get out of the hole. You dug yourself in because of whatever you needed a new pickup when you were 21, you went out and bought a stupid new Chevy for $40,000, you know, or whatever, the, whatever the scenario was. And that's the kind of stuff that takes a little while for most people to myself included, you know, to, to get out of that funk or where, where you kind of follow the world whenever the world's for lack of a better term, you know, not doing very well <laughs> either. Um, so I don't know if that it helps you any Jacob. I know you're young and you just graduated college, but yeah. um, you're, that's a big benefit. So you got your whole life ahead of you, man. Yeah. That, that gives me some, some great uh, food for thought about taking risks and understanding your priorities. So I really appreciate <laughs> those answers guys. And, and uh, always appreciate being on here and being able to have access to some great wealth of knowledge like you too. All right, man. Thanks, Thanks for calling in. See ya. One second. Got to take him off there. There we go. Yep. Life's hard. Sometimes sometimes people figure it out. Some people don't. Uh, it's all right. And there's different forms of figuring it out too. Like 
guys that want to make a bunch of money for their family and and all that that's that's respectable as well yeah there's a lot of guys that get into um to hunting to like make money that's the Man. wrong oh yeah <laughs> yeah wrong for sure yeah. yeah like and i like clarify about me quitting my job like i'm i started a company called josh's media where i'm doing commercials for people outside of the hunting industry like there's a lot of money in that um you know but this is going to be like a supplemental part of that uh so yeah th there's uh, it's it's rough in the in the hunting world like you heard aaron talk about they were huge after a couple of years and they were still doing stuff on the side to try to make uh you know make ends meet so yeah, when they split their money up between what is it five six guys whatever they got yeah it's not a lot of money. And then they no, got to buy their own insurance and stuff out of that too. And, you yeah. know, because that's what they're doing for a living. That's why I'm yeah. still working is because of the insurance thing. Yeah. And if you think about travel costs, like what they had to put in a year to travel all those guys around and pay for tags and pay for, you know, places to stay, like even freaking campsites anymore, 50 bucks a site, you know, it's like, geez. Um, if you do that for a week, you know, it adds up to be quite a bit of money when, when it's all said and done. Um, right. And they got a house payment on top of that or, you know, yeah. Or rent yeah. Or whatever. Right. Right. Um, okay. We've been on here for an hour already, man. It feels like we've been here for 10 minutes. Uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll keep going though. We'll go for a little bit longer here. Here's a, here's one from the, the internet, the, the Facebook page. Favorite snack food on the, the way to the woods or in the woods? Hmm. What's your favorite, Dan? Mine? I don't know. I don't really snack much when I hunt. Uh, yeah. If I do, it's an apple or something in my pocket. Uh, sometimes I take uh, either hard candy or gum. I like gum because it keeps me from falling asleep because I don't sleep much during hunting season. I get a couple hours a night. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I go to work at two in the morning and get out of work, go hunting, and then I don't get home till 10 or so. And then I'm, you know, up to 11, 12, getting my crap together and ends up, I, I don't get any sleep. So I start falling asleep in tree stands and stuff. So I like hard candy or gum because it keeps me awake. You fell asleep at it in a tree stand, didn't you, one time and fell out or woke up the next morning or something crazy? What was that? Uh, that was... Uh, Back when I used to work for um, Mumford, I was back in the '90s. I, uh, um, I was working some massive hours and and hunting every morning and every evening. And I worked, you know, I ran the, the what I did. I had a um, side job where I rented the shop too, kind of thing. So I did side work where they let me use the equipment, but I had to just get so many hours of, of their work done too. Yeah, and I was just busting out the hours and still hunting every morning and every evening. So I'd hunt. Four, I'd work, run out and hunt, come back, you know, work for a while, run out and hunt, come back, sleep for a little while, then come back to work. And I was so tired all the time. But uh, I went out and got in this stand in the evening. And uh, when I'd get done hunting, I'd go home and I'd sit in a, uh, like a sofa chair and I'd always fall asleep there. And uh, then I'd wake up at some point in time and in, in, in the darkness and wander up to bed. Well, I, I woke up and it's pitch black and I didn't realize I was in the tree stand. I'd fell asleep. I was up there. I must've been asleep for hours. And I literally, <laughs> literally stepped out of the stand. And when I hit no floor, I realized like instantly where I was. 
and uh, was able to reach around and grab the tree. And it was just a terrifying moment where I was like, it took me a second to even realize where the hell I was. You know, I'd actually yeah. been asleep for like three hours or something. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's not good. Those days are over. Yeah. <laughs> um, back in those days, I didn't even wear a harness or anything. Yeah. Um, snack food. I love Chex Mix. Like, you like sweet and salty peanuts and um, M&M's type things. That's what I would, if I was going to have one snack the rest of my life, that'd probably be it. I also like those little five-hour energy drinks during hunting season. Those little, um, you can get them at a gas station or if you buy them at Walmart, they're a lot cheaper. But just little like energy shots, five-hour energy, I consume a lot of those during hunting season. They seem to, I can take that before walking in or something. It keeps me pretty alert throughout the um, sit. You get really uh, angry, you just grab a squirrel off the tree. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Oh, man. Here's a good question. How many morning hunts you hunt in a season? How about you? Mm, so not very many, uh, in the past at least. Uh, and that's mostly because I you know, I, I had a job last six years, I guess, um, where I could work from home. So I'd always, I'd always work early like i'd go to i'd get into my office at my house at five or six whatever real early and then i'd be able to get off in time to go hunting so i could kind of make my own hours but i i always just worked in the morning and my boss was from the united kingdom so his hours he was five hours ahead of me so he was always up and working in the mornings anyway so if i, I could just get up with him so i didn't hunt a lot of mornings um you know i'd hunt i'll hunt a, maybe if i had to put a number on it I'd probably say I hunt 10 times in the morning during season. Now that's, if I'm hunting out of state, that's a little bit different. You know, uh, it'll depend on what I'm into or what I'm finding. But like, if I was just hunting Indiana, I'd tell you I'd hunt maybe 10 mornings throughout a whole year. I'd say six or 10. Yeah. Uh, I generally uh, keep them close to rut. I don't start hunting mornings till October 15th. And then um, about a week into November, uh, probably stop. So, um, just mainly rut time, I hunt mornings. Sometimes I'll hunt mornings when there's a, like a storm front that comes in late. And like, like if you get a storm in the evening, it goes late into the night. I find the next morning they're moving like crazy. If they're kind of locked down from a heavy storm, if the next day is yeah. kind of, I shot one of my bigger bucks, um, morning after a storm like that. Actually it was still storming when I went out there, but, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, mornings are. I don't know. I've I've killed deer in gun season in the mornings, um, but I just don't have the. I did. I used to not have the time to hunt mornings. I always had to be working. So, um, we have. I was going to say this before I went to the next question. We have quite a few people on tonight, and I appreciate it. Um, don't forget, like I said before, if you jumped on late, we are doing. I am doing a giveaway uh, um, for beast mini sticks that Mario and Dan were. Uh, gracious enough to let me give away. So if you're subscribed, you got to subscribe to the channel to be entered to win to, for it. So if you're not subscribed and you're watching, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and you'll be entered to win those uh, four pack of sticks. All right. Question from the um, Facebook page again here. It says, every year in early season, we always hear posts about bucks disappearing right before opening day. What do you see as being the main factor behind that behavior and tendency? Uh, generally, there's a shift in food at that time. 
Um, acorns start dropping a little heavier if it's September. Uh, beans turn yellow. Um, I don't, you know, there are shifts that are pretty far. Like I've seen deer right before season move a mile. Um, but I'd say the majority of mature bucks are still somewhere right in the vicinity. They just, they stop coming into the open fields. They change their pattern up a little bit, but they're still there. And it's just a matter of hunting them down. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes your season opener, I don't know when your uh, season opens, but sometimes that can be dependent to, I think the earlier your start is, the more likely those deer are going to be around during opener, wherever you're seeing them before opener. Whereas if you have an October 1st, there's a lot of stuff going on that time of year for bucks changing and velvets coming off. And, you know, I'm sure in October there's some probably, you know, hormones changing pretty rapidly and whatnot. So, um, yep. See if I can hide that comment. All right. This is a question that came in uh, on the on the Facebook post as well. When people say the deer are in pockets, what exactly does that mean? And why are they there? We talk about pockets a lot during like late season, Dan. I think that's probably where that's coming from. Mm. We talked about them last week with Aaron, even uh, talking about Iowa late season. Yeah. Pocket is a small area. I just mean like a, a little tiny area. And I guess when I refer to pocket, I'm probably thinking of a small area of a certain terrain. Like, um, I don't, I don't know, um, a pocket could be, um, a cat to a bowl or something, or it could be, uh, you know, um, area of dogwood or something. They're not really leaving it. Um, it's a pretty wide open term. It could be used yeah. for a lot of things. Yeah. It can all, cause I mean, just mean there's a, all the deer in this area, you know, you're not, you're not really in late season, like when you see, you know, 30 does and a couple bucks out in the field, that's a pocket of deer in late season. Like that, those, those deer are all living in the same little general area. Right. Um, they're, they're, they're isolated around food. They're yeah. not moving far from it. They, in late season, those, those pockets of deer that I refer to or that some that other people refer to as well are, um, groups of deer bedding close to food because they they want to conserve their energy because there's not a lot of food and because they use a lot of energy in the snow and cold to stay warm um so they try to move very short distances to food and then all and food is uh become more rare so the better foods all the deer will congregate around them and uh that's what we're calling a pocket. They're not moving yep. far where they're bedded to the food and there's a lot of deer living there. Yep. Okay. Another question came in from the chat here. Why do the pros say hunting mornings in the early season is a bad idea? Do you see any truth to that or disagree? What do you think, Josh? I think it depends on the, the location and the setup, which is a, horrible answer um i think they're if you know where they're eating or feeding in early season and the bedding area is that they're going to be using is far enough away from that food source um, and you can catch them in the first couple of days of the season that can be a good setup 
Um, but you know, you got to be careful hunting mornings uh, during early season because a lot of times the deer aren't going to be, they're going to be back to bed before, um, you know, before the, the legal shooting light is, is in, available in the morning. So um, I have one spot that there's a bedding area on public that is pretty far away from uh, where they feed in the crop fields at night. And if I've, I've had some decent luck in the in the mornings there the first couple of days of season, but that's about the only spot I can think of that I've kind of narrowed down in early season. Yes. So, uh, I don't think uh, it's a bad idea to hunt early season. The more you hunt, the better, but I think you can do a lot of damage to your good spots. So um, if I was going to hunt early season, it's going to be some spot I'm not going to hunt in the evening. I'm not going to damage my evening hunts. And uh, there's, there's a good reason for that. I mean, through the years of hunting, I've adapted, I've changed, I've learned some things. And if I go back to um, the years when I was killing all those big bucks, you know, the, the, the 90s, you know, um, maybe the late 80s. I would hunt every morning and every evening, almost the entire season. I'd miss one or two days, one or two mornings, one or two evenings. I would hunt all the time. And what I saw was when I'd go in in the mornings in early season or any time outside of rut, really, is I would see young deer and a few in the morning. But the mature bucks, I'd go into these bedding areas and and it could be two hours before daylight. I'd listen to that bucket out of that bedding area and run off when I go in there. It's dead silent. You're making noise. It is dead silent in the morning going in. And those deer are already in those bedding areas. So then I would try and beat them. And I did this for years. I tried getting in there really early, like say three or four hours before daylight. Get to a tree, get in that tree. They'd come in in the dark underneath you. You can't see them. Or you see just barely make them out. They'd smell where you walked, bug out of there. They, uh, they'd come in from downwind and smell the bedding area before they come in there. They'd J-hook in, and they'd smell you downwind and blow and take off. And if yep. you stood up downwind, you had to get it just perfect, not to get too far down from them. Then they'd get in there, bed down, and you're not right over the bed. You can't shoot them. So you're stuck there for the day. And then you better hope they leave that way. But in the evening... Those deer get up out of their bed, walk down the main trails out of there instead of coming in wind to nose, and it's easy. So I prefer to hunt those spots in the evenings. Now, occasionally there's spots that I cannot get in there in the evening close enough without making noise. I give them a shot in the morning because you hate to give them a free ride and just let them bed there for nothing, right? So worst yep. case scenario, you push them out of there, you can hunt them where he moves to. But... Uh, you give it a shot in the morning, but it's lower odds because you're more likely to, to, to spook that deer. Um, now, that said, I think some terrains, they move better. Some terrains in some places, they move better in mornings than others. Like I've noticed in uh, the north woods of Wisconsin, when you get far up north in solid timber, I see a lot of movement in daylight in the mornings outside of rut. Uh, and I always thought that that was a little odd, but I think it has to do with probably wolf predation at, at night and stuff. Um, 
where we really don't have that down here. Yeah. And that's just a guess. I don't know for sure. Yeah. So for what it's worth, for me, I don't like hunting uh, mornings early season because all I do is spook deer out of the bedding areas where they're bedded before daylight. And then I ruin my spots. Yep. The particular spot I'm thinking of is in the hip, big, big hill country here in Indiana where they travel a little bit or, you know, they have a little time to get back. So um, probably rely or can relate to those big woods up there. Um, I'll give you an example of a hunt I screwed up last year and it's on the hunting beast. This was October. This was October 2nd. Um, this big deer I was telling someone asked earlier about what deer we were going after this year. It was this deer. Um, I got him on cell camera at like 4 a.m. in the morning, um, going back to a certain bedding area I know of. Um, and I, he was far enough, that cell camera is far enough away from that, uh, area, uh, that bedding area. There's a, there's a cornfield in between that cell camera and where that deer bed, I thought maybe he would mingle in that cornfield long enough to get back, um, before he'd get back to that bed. So I got that morning, I got up super early. Um, I was already up and, uh, got into that spot probably an hour and a half before daylight and, you know, 30 minutes before legal light, here he come. He J hooked, like you said, around the back of me. I mean, he came in to whatever 30 yards, but he knew I was there and, and I boogered him, never freaking got back on him the whole rest of the year. And that was, you know, the first couple of days of the season. And I'm like, well, crap, you know, um, and the last year was kind of the first year that I didn't um, feel like I had a good opportunity outside of that morning to actually kill that deer that I wanted to kill on that farm. So I probably screwed it up right off the bat. Uh, I mean, the smart thing to do would have probably been to um, just wait until that evening and try to set up on the bed, um, you know, outside of the bedding. But I had in my mind that maybe, you know, maybe he'd come back later than, than what he, but he didn't. Um, I don't know. So there's your example of, uh, <laughs> of how it can go wrong. All right. Uh, we'll go do a couple more here and then I got to get back to my family vacation here, guys. So here's a question. What's your favorite over the counter whitetail tag state? And we can't, we can't say our own. That's my rule. We can't say Indiana or Wisconsin. Hmm. Favorite over the counter whitetail state. Man, I like them all. I know. I, I guess, uh, uh, I, I, you know, what does that relate to? You know, uh, hunting adventure or, or big bucks or, or what? I mean, is there is there anything attached to that? Nope. That's the question right there. Uh, just if you could, what's your favorite one? You've hunted quite a few states, haven't you? Yeah. I have a really hard time putting a... Um, putting a name on one because uh i like them all for one reason or another yeah uh, i think uh i've had the most uh adventures in in iowa mm -hmm. but i really liked pennsylvania and i really liked michigan i was not an option that's not over the counter oh over the counter yep then i guess pa was uh i like pa i went to uh Nebraska last year. I really enjoyed it out there. I hunted a week there. Didn't see another hunter, another deer hunter. And the conservation officer stopped me and checked me and stuff. He was like, 
like, you're hunting right now? I'm like, yeah. He's like, nobody hunts right now, you know? So it was cool. It was a fun state to be in. Now I was on eastern Nebraska. I wasn't out west. I think out west is a different story. Um, but yeah, it's hard to, I'll tell you one I don't like. I don't like Kentucky. I go there every year. But I don't like it. That's why I'm laughing. You go there every year and you just said you don't like it. Yeah, it's just, it's close to my house. Uh, but yeah, I go, uh, I go there just in the, in the early season usually and, and until Indiana opens. But you, you know why uh, that question is so hard for me to answer? Because my answer should be the next new destination because, yeah, for me, it's the new adventures that I like. Um, it would be real easy for me to, to travel back to spots I've already been to and kill big bucks because I've learned them. I learned them and made mistakes and, and blew them out, but now I know them. I could go back now and hunt those bedding areas and really have a good start. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I love the new adventure of going someplace new where you've never been and going in there, figuring it out and, and killing a deer, even though more often than not, you fail doing that. Yeah. I'm not scared of the failure and I don't care as much if I get a deer as what maybe some other people do. For me, it's more about proving something to myself than others. Yeah. So, uh, I like the adventure of putting my, um, you know, the odds against me and going to new places. It's kind of like why I gravitate to places like Michigan and PA and stuff when people say, oh, you can't do that here. Well, yeah, well, let's yeah. see. You know, I, I kind of I like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think that's what it's all about for me, too, is just going on, on an adventure. I mean, I like to kill big deer as much as the next person, but, um, yeah, it's, and it seems like sometimes you have, like, the best hunts of your life on, and some of those areas that you don't think you know, most people wouldn't go to, or they think you're crazy for going hunting deer remember, in Pennsylvania. Remember you the know, fucking PA that last day buck that yeah. I got. Yeah, and I think the monster that was just it was it was cool. Yeah, it'd been a good deer anywhere. And like in Michigan, you guys, uh, I think during that the public land challenge, like that last hunt. Man, I haven't watched this in so long, but I think Ted and Zach got on a big one in Michigan. There was like a pretty nice one that came in on them, uh, and you know they almost got a shot at it. Yeah, I saw um, I saw a lot of two year olds, and yeah. uh, I got onto um, some really big buck sign and some overlooked spots. Yeah, where um, man, it looked pretty good. I, I you know, and I was right in the middle of mid Michigan where everybody says it sucks, and I thought, man, this hunting is probably better than where I live. Literally, you know, everybody yeah. says, "Oh, you live in Wisconsin, the hunting's great." Not exactly where I live. Mm -mm. Where I live, it's way overpressured. I live right between all the cities. Western Wisconsin is the good stuff. Up in the yeah. hilly side, you know, this is hard to hunt over here. And that's well, I hunted just north of you is where I shot my buck last year, and I'm um, just north of you a couple yeah, hours. That's not a good area. That's a hard area. That's a hard area. No, there's people everywhere. Yeah, I mean there was, um, I mean there was a couple hunts where I ended up not going where I wanted to because you know there's so many people in the parking lots and stuff. Um, and then, you know, I got kind of got scolded by my buddies and they're like, you just need to go. Like there's gonna be people everywhere. And me being from Indiana where the pressure is not quite as high, you know, I see someone in a parking lot and I'm like, ah, I'll go to this spot or that spot. And then, you know, they kind of finally told me like, Hey, look, you gotta go because they're not going to, you're not going to find a place that's, there's not a truck parked in. Or yeah, I, I read know. that online all the time. Like, uh, well, I, you know, I'm looking for a parking lot that doesn't have anybody. It's like, Whoa, there's none of those around here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah not, on, not on Thursday in uh, uh, 
September twenty uh, fourth. You know, there's the parking lots right. are full on Thursday. You know, right? You're not finding it. Yeah, yeah. But you can kill. I mean, you kill big deer in those areas still. I mean, you just gotta um, go where people aren't going to go. You'd have a pretty hard time traveling to this spot and killing one on the road if you weren't from around here. You yeah. might have a little bit of added intel. You did some scouting. You have a friend that's uh, giving you some advice. Um, but to come here blind and kill a big buck would be pretty difficult. Yeah. I think you could do it in western Wisconsin fairly easy in the hills. Yeah. Yeah. But not here. Right. All right, Dan. I've gotten asked this question quite a few times now, so I'm going to give this one to you. Not that one. That's the wrong one. Sorry. Okay. Any word on a new stand? Give anybody like updates on hunting beast gear or anything like that. Mm, how do I answer that? <laughs> yeah, we're uh, we're working on some new stuff. Um, matter of fact, I've got a lunch meeting with an engineer tomorrow um, to look at some uh, some new updates. Um, I have a new stand designed. I think it's uh, real innovative. I think it's gonna kind of be pretty cool to the industry uh something that uh nobody's seen before and uh i think it's gonna be really cool but i can't say much about it because uh it'll get copied and yep you get beaten the market and i get used and abused by like the lgbt stand company like i did last time <laughs> so i gotta be careful what i do yep just uh, stay tuned is what I always tell everybody. So. so as far as timelines, we're in the process right now. of I've almost got uh, an updated stand ready for testing. Once I test it, then it's got to go in for, uh, for um, outside testing. And once it's, it's rated where we want it for rating, then we can release it. So that could take time. That you know, um, it's possible we could get it done by hunting season, but it's going to be, that'd be pretty rough. But I'm yeah. trying as fast as I can to get it done. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Is there a max temperature uh, you use as a guideline decide not to hunt? How about you, Josh? This is why I hate Kentucky. No, there's not. I, I mean, I'll, I'll go. I mean, if I if I'm on a deer, I'll go no matter what. Um, but that's one of the reasons I always joke about not liking Kentucky is because I always hunt down there early September and it's like it can be 100 degrees and hum humid. I actually thought about uh, taking a trip with uh, the family to Tennessee this year in August. They got a velvet season down there in August. I think that'd be kind of fun mm, to go try, but it'd be hotter. It'd be hotter. It'd be hotter than fire down there in August, but. Yeah, this deer will move. They'll move right before dark, and that when it, that you get that drop in temperature. Yeah, hmm. uh, sounds like fun. So for for me, um, I've shot deer when it was eighty five over water holes. You, you know, you change your tactics, right? Yep. Hot, look at water. It's it look to a shady spot. It's windy, look to the leeward side. You know, it's 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 raining. What are they doing in rain? Maybe they're sitting in conifers. Um. Maybe, maybe when it's rainy or windy, you can get closer to bedding. There is a benefit out of every um, thing that people look at as an obstacle. There's always a good side to it. And you just got to open your eyes to that. Um, there are people, people have different mindsets, but there are people who look at any excuse to get out of hunting. 
Oh, it's raining today. I ain't hunting. Oh, it's hot. I ain't hunting. Oh, it's too early in the season. I ain't hunting. Um, you, you know, how many people have you heard say, you know, I don't hunt till rut because I don't want to burn out my property. If I stay out of there till rut, the very biggest bucks I've ever shot were on opening day. I mean, I've shot many of the very, very, very biggest bucks were shot opening day of all season. Um, them off guard in that early season when they move. So, uh, hot weather isn't, you know, there's no temperature variance. I mean, maybe if it was 210, yeah, I might stay in. Right. But I don't think there's a hunting temperature that I've, that's ever deterred me from hunting. It might make a decision on where I hunt, but, uh, weather doesn't stop me from hunting. I mean, I might not hunt if it's just so miserable out. It would just be insane to go out there. Like it's 40 mile an hour wind with a sideways downpour, you know, blowing in the wind um, or it's dangerous with lightning or something. But other than that, everything that happens, out there, the deer are still out there. They're still doing something. Yeah, They don't just lock down and sit down. I mean, it gets really hot. What would you do? I mean, they probably want to drink. So, I mean, like I said, that one day I made up my mind to go sit a water hole and that's it that infamous video where they shoot that buck and he jumps way in the air and lands in the middle of the water hole. Yeah. That was 85 degrees that day. That's why yeah. I sat on that water hole. Yep. That's a good answer. Okay. We're going to take one last question and then, uh, call it quits tonight, guys. My wife just came in and now they're eating dinner. So I'm going to, we're going to go with one more and then we'll, we'll hop off here. Now you make uh, me chili. I can yeah. smell it. <laughs> I can too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. You guys ever hunt in the UP? Funny you say that. I have. Um, I hunted there um, two days and shot two bucks. The tags back in those days were $75. I had, uh, I was working in a machine shop with a couple guys who hunted the UP only. And uh, they were telling me how I hunt these cushy bucks down here and how easy it is and stuff. And I don't know what real hunting is. Men go up in the big woods and blah, blah, blah. And they own um, a 40 up there. So kicks and giggles. I had my tags filled. I went up there and hunted with them. And it was $75 for a tag. At, and you get two tags. And uh, when I got there, it was kind of weird because... Then they suddenly had rules and they had this map and they're like, okay, here's where Jim hunts. Here's where Tom hunts. Here's where Mike hunts. And it was all, they had a big pile of corn basically. And they had a stand over the top of it. So they were like, we really don't want you going anywhere near our stands. Like, okay, I don't want to be anywhere near those stands. You know, I'm yeah. sure every big buck knows where those are. So I looked at them and mapped out the property and uh, scouted. I actually walked around and scouted for the day. And then I went back to the spot that I thought was best, creeped in, set up. And I shot a buck that was about 120, 125 class, something like that. And uh, that very first day, and uh, those guys about crapped their pants. They said it was the biggest buck they ever took off the property. And I didn't know how lucky I was and blah, blah, blah. And they were like, you should just go get another tag, you know, we're here, you know, we're here for the weekend or whatever. So I did. I went and got another tag. And the next day I went to the second best spot and I shot a bigger buck. No was, way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then I wasn't welcome there no more. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah. You must just... Must that's my lucky. only experience in the UP. Um, but uh, 
I'd really like to get back up there. But yeah, I'd like we, to get more on that, uh, to, to the, you know, the big public expanses rather than a piece of private. Right. We talked about going up there this year, and it's probably more of a possibility now that we're not going to Iowa. Yep. Um, someone asked about where the public land challenge is this year. We don't know, guys. Dan doesn't know until, you know, real soon before it starts. As, as Aaron said in the show last week, um, he asked me every year, and I, I said, I really don't care. You know, call me a week before we're going and let me know. Yeah. And then he does, and then I, I have a few days to get some maps together, look at them, and then I just go out there and meet up with them and head out. Yep. It'll be somewhere. Yeah, you we really even if even if I knew, which I don't, I couldn't say something because yeah. Um, if you say it publicly, um, people and I, don't, and I don't mean anything bad about it, but we really can't have, you know, five hundred people there while we're trying to hunt, you know, um, in our camping area and trying to get out and, you know, running into a few people is nice. Having five hundred people there would suck. Right. Right. All right, guys. Thanks for getting on. Uh, one more comment before we uh, we get off here is is we are giving away a set of four mini bee sticks. All you have to do is subscribe to the channel. So there's a lot of people on tonight, which was nice. Um, if you want to be entered to win, all you have to do is subscribe to the channel, and we'll draw that. We're going to try to hit 5,000 subscribers, and when we hit that, we will uh, give away the sticks. If that, if that gets to be too long, I'll give them away eventually before then, but goal is 5,000 subscribers. Make sure you like the the podcast as well um, here on the, on the channel, if you're watching now or later. And, and if you are watching later, just give us a comment and, and we'll try to get back to you. So um, thanks everybody for, for getting onto this and I will talk to you next week. Thanks everybody.